Russian President Vladimir Putin called the U.S. dollar's drop in dominance, quote, objective and irreversible during the recent BRICS summit in South Africa, as Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa formally agreed to use local currencies instead of the U.S. dollar. It's the first shoe to drop. As demand for the dollar weakens, the buying power of the dollar also weakens. That's why Birch Gold Group is busier than ever. Investors and savers are looking to harness the power of physical gold held in a tax-sheltered IRA. Text MONICA to 989-898 for your free info kit on gold. Thousands of happy customers, an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, and countless five-star reviews, you can count on Birch Gold to help you navigate transitioning an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold. As the U.S. dollar continues to receive pressure from foreign countries, digital currency, and central banks, arm yourself with information on how to protect your savings. Just text MONICA to 989-898 to claim your free info kit from Birch Gold Group right now. Hey guys, I am Monica Crowley and this is the Monica Crowley Podcast. Thank you so much for being with me as we kick off a brand new week. Happy Monday to you. This is your go-to for hot liberty, a safe space for all of us thought criminals, independent thinkers, and happy warriors. Please follow my Instagram account for news about me and the show and clips and what's coming up at Monica Crowley underscore. That's at Monica Crowley underscore. And on Twitter at Monica Crowley. You can also send me an email about the show to the show's email account, Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com. And trust me when I tell you, you're not going to want to miss today's email read. The mailbag at the end of the show is always really fun for me. I hope it's fun for you guys too. Uh, You may get your email read on the air, but I promise you that today I'm going to read a particular email uh, from someone who loves the podcast, but has an issue with one aspect of it. And I'm going to ask you all to weigh in. So Monica Crowley podcast at gmail.com is our email address. All right. Today, I want to deal with the deliberate smearing of President Trump by calling him a Russian asset. All of that was orchestrated by Madame Defarge, also known as Hillary Clinton. Do you remember A Tale of Two Cities? Charles Dickens? about the French Revolution, there was a character in that novel called Madame Defarge. Madame Defarge used to sit in the corner while they would plot and plot and plot, and she would knit. And in her knitting, she was knitting the uh, the whole plots. All of the details of the plots went into her knitting. Madame Defarge would sit in her rocking chair and knit and plot and plot and knit. And back when I was doing a radio show uh, prior to this podcast, I used to call Mrs. Clinton Madame Defarge. And guess what? Now I am bringing it back because there is no more precise 
identifier for Mrs. Clinton than Madame Defarge. She is Madame Defarge. Madame Defarge is Mrs. Clinton. So Madame Defarge hatched this entire plot to take out Donald J. Trump. And today I really want to break apart the deep, deep corruption in the CIA and the intelligence community more broadly that didn't just allow this to happen, but helped to execute the plot that she was knitting away to overthrow Trump. We're going to talk to former CIA operations officer Brian Dean Wright about it and whether the intelligence agencies in this country can be fixed or do they need to be raised to the ground and we've got to start from scratch to rebuild it all. We'll also ask him about Russia, Ukraine, China, Taiwan, and Iran marching toward a nuclear weapon. Plus, like I said, your emails, including a really hot email that it's going to require you to weigh in. All of that is coming up straight up. First, though, the Monica Memo. You know, we've got so much coming at us that it's easy for us to forget that there is still a special counsel named John Durham continuing his work into the origins of the Russia hoax. He is working very slowly, maybe too slowly for everybody's taste, but I was reminding my mother yesterday, uh, I was with her for Easter, and by the way, I hope everybody had a beautiful holiday weekend. Um, Jewish, Christian, who celebrated Passover and Easter, of course, I I hope everybody had a wonderful time. I had way too much chocolate That's the story for another day. Um, But my mother was saying, you know, I can't believe Durham is taking so long. And I had to remind her that he impaneled the grand jury in this case prior to COVID hitting in March of 2020. And then that grand jury was shut down for a year. I, I could be wrong about the period of time, but they did shut it down. Like they shut down a lot of, uh, all court action was shut down. So he is on a delay uh, because of COVID. And on top of that, he moves in a very slow, methodical kind of way, which is frustrating for us who want the answers and the proof and the evidence. And we want to see these people locked up. But in a way, you do want him to put the pieces of the puzzle together in the most responsible ways so that nobody can question it. Nobody can say that this is a slapdash kind of operation, right? No one. Well, now with every passing week, it seems, we are getting more and more evidence coming from the Durham investigation. The other reason you know that Durham is serious uh, and that this is a completely professional operation is that there has not been a single leak coming from him or his team. Unlike Mueller, unlike all these other bogus investigations into Trump, things leak left and right. All of a sudden, Adam Schiff has details about an investigation, right? Or, or, or Swalwell, who is too busy sleeping with Chinese spies, but somehow finds time to leak elements of an investigation. In this case, you have not heard word one about it. So that tells all of us that he is very quietly working away and he is amassing tremendous amounts of intelligence and evidence. Well, now what we've learned on Friday, on Good Friday, right before this weekend, is that there's ever more evidence that the intel community and Democrats targeted Trump 
first of all, while he was running for president in 2016, after he was elected, and then while he was president of the United States, they targeted Trump Tower, they targeted the executive, uh, they, they targeted his campaign headquarters, Trump Tower, where he lived, his residence, the campaign offices in Trump Tower, and the executive office of the president, meaning they were spying on him while he was president in the Oval and elsewhere in the White House. Unbelievable. Biggest political scandal in U.S. history. And I say that as someone who worked with President Nixon during the last years of his life and talked to him very extensively about Watergate. Watergate is nothing compared to this. Watergate is tiddlywinks compared to this sophisticated targeting of a sitting president for political purposes. So what Durham is now beginning to show, and in a very systematic legal way, is that everything Donald Trump said to be the case is true. Trump got mocked, smeared, and humiliated for saying that they were spying on him. Remember, everybody laughed at him, the late night host, but it was all true. And he knew it was true. He told us it was true. And the liars who did it to him and the liars in the propaganda press all laughed at him when they knew it was true. They didn't want you to know, but now we know, or at least we're getting to know. Before we get into some of these details about this, a quick story, which you will enjoy and you will only get here from me. So in March of 2017, President Trump was brand new as president. He had only been in office two months. And all of this stuff was swirling. The whole Russia hoax was blowing up all day long on MSNBC, CNN. Trump is a Russian asset. Remember all of that? So in March of 2017, I went and had lunch with a left-wing friend of mine um, who shall go nameless, but this is someone who is on the air on one of the other cable networks, very prominent cable news personality, very opinionated, very on the left. This person and I had worked together You know, when I was at MSNBC back in the mid-2000s, 2007, 2008, this person and I uh, had worked together and so on, and we sort of stayed in touch a little bit. So we went out for lunch, and I remember saying to this person that because that morning, I think either that morning or the day before, President Trump had tweeted, back when he was still on Twitter, he tweeted that they had been spying on him. I think he used the word wiretap, that they wiretapped him or they tapped his phones. Remember that? And again, all hell broke loose. Everybody mocking him, making fun. Oh, he's crazy. That's insane. Obama and his administration would never do that. And I remember saying to this uh, friend of mine, Uh, who was also at lunch making fun of this whole thing, I said, hold your tongue right there. Because Donald Trump, he might be fast and loose with his language sometimes, 
but not on issues that truly matter like this. And so if Trump is telling the world that he was spied on and that his phone lines and and apparently internet, because there's internet traffic Durham is now talking about, that all of that stuff was being watched. He was being watched. He was being monitored. His phone lines, his internet traffic, he put out there, Trump Tower um, was was wiretapped. Um, my phone lines were tapped. They were spying on me. And everyone was laughing. And I said to my friend, I said, if he says this, he knows it to be true. He knows something that we don't know. And this person sort of looked at me and laughed and said, oh, Trump's such a liar. Of course, he's lying about this. I said, really? Something this specific, you think, uh, he's the sitting president now, you think he would just go out there and lie? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Of course, that person was not telling me the truth um, because obviously uh, they knew it at the time. This is very high-ranking left-wing cable news personality. They knew at the time that this, there had to be something to what Trump was tweeting. And I remember saying to this person, you're going to be proved wrong. If, if you want to take this and run with it for ratings, I can't stop you, but you are going to be proven wrong. And of course, they went and ran with it and drove a lot of ratings on this Russia hoax and the whole thing. Of course they did. The point of me telling you this story is that Everybody knew that it was a lie and they just didn't care. My warning to this person fell on deaf ears because not only did they want the ratings of four years of calling Trump a Russian asset and smearing him, not only did they want to leverage this lie to destroy him, but they knew that there would be no consequences to their lies. There would be no consequences to their lies. And that's why they went wild, because who's going to hold them to account? Their fellow, quote unquote, uh, propagandists in the press, who were also perpetuating all these lies when they knew them to be false? Nobody is going to hold their feet to the fire. There's going to be no accountability. You see story after story. Look, the New York Post today Uh, has a great editorial where they list a bunch of the smears against Trump and then uh, how they're all patently false. So here, Trump had a secret computer server in communication with a Russian bank and a Russian-made phone followed him wherever he went. Totally false. The CIA concluded that the data presented by Hillary's lawyer, Sussman, who lied to agents that he was working independently and not on behalf of any client when he was working for Madame Defarge, that that data was not plausible. And according to Durham, not only was it not plausible, not technically plausible, but also, quote, user created, meaning someone just made it up and plugged it in. All of it garbage. How about this lie, that Trump used moles in the DNC to hack Hillary Clinton's emails? Totally false. Robert Mueller's bogus investigation found no evidence of this because it didn't happen. 
And remember the, the so-called P-tape that the Russians had compromised on Trump, including videos of him with prostitutes and hookers and God knows what else? Totally false. No evidence, nothing ever released, no support for this smear at all. And in fact, Durham alleges a Democratic operative was the source for Steele. Duh, it's Madame Defarge and her team, meaning it was all, it was all made up by people around Hillary Clinton. All of this coming out in slow drips now from Durham. All of this, by the way, and on another show, we're going to get into why Russia was the focus because nobody has really talked about this, right? Why did they settle on Russia? I mean, first of all, the intricacy of this plot against Trump, uh, their, their minds are very evil, the way they can think and flesh out uh, this kind of sophisticated hoax is really something. Way too much time on their hands. Way too much. This is how much they hated Trump and realized what an existential threat he was to all of them. Therefore, he had to be destroyed. And I will just close with this thought. Of course, Madame Defarge was behind all of this. Of course, Mrs. Clinton drove the bus on this hoax. But it wasn't her alone. It came with Obama's blessing. It came with Joe Biden's blessing. They were all in that Oval Office meeting. Obama, this was January of uh, 2017, right before Trump was inaugurated. A very infamous meeting in the Oval with Obama, Biden, James Comey, uh, I believe John Brennan of the CIA, Sally Yates of the DOJ, they were all in there. Now, remember, the, the conspiracy began during the campaign in like June or July of 20, 2016. But it was January of 2017. After Trump had won, he was getting ready to come in, and they had a holy crap moment because they realized they needed to keep it going to keep the cover-up going. And that's what the Mueller investigation was all about. The Mueller investigation was the cover-up. They thought Rodham was going to win. Madame Defarge was going to be in the Oval, and they could destroy all of the evidence of this. When Trump won, it screwed up everything, and they needed to keep it going to cover it up. Don't think for one second Hillary Clinton was not behind all of this. She was. But she also had the help and the assist of Obama and Biden, James Comey, John Brennan, James Clapper. They were all in on it. So the question becomes, does Durham go all the way to the top to get them? I don't know. We shall see. If justice is truly blind... And if justice is going to be equally applied across the board to the powerful and the meek alike, well, then he will trace it all the way to the top. This Clinton lawyer, Michael Sussman, his trial is scheduled to begin on May 16th. We are going to be all over that on this show because we're going to get a ton of new information about the plot to frame Donald Trump. This is the biggest political scandal in U.S. history. Again, it makes Watergate look like child's play. Hillary Clinton 
and her campaign. Right now, in all of these filings, they talk about the Clinton lawyer, they talk about the Clinton campaign, but it was her. Make no mistake. None of these people were freelancing this stuff. They didn't just come up with, Michael Sussman, this rando uh, Clinton lawyer, didn't just come up with, oh, I think I'll go frame Trump as a Russian asset. Huh? No, it does not happen that way. It went, it started with her and went all the way down. These people did not freelance this stuff. This woman is a deep state control freak monster. And she hatched this. She had a lot of help from very powerful people with very corrupt institutions behind them. And that's how they were able to devise and execute this plot to frame her political opponent, who then became the president of the United States. That's what's going on here. And our intelligence agencies are so incredibly corrupt along with our law enforcement too, DOJ, FBI, all of them shot through with corruption to an extreme degree. And now we're all suffering the consequences of this. And it remains to be seen if any of these criminals who did this and ripped apart the very integrity of our institutions while they go around and accuse Trump of being a threat to democracy, Just remember, anytime you hear them accuse our side of something, you're a threat to democracy. Understand that they are accusing us of what they themselves are guilty of. It's projection. They are masters of it. And because they have the echo chamber of the propaganda press to continue their lies, they get away with it. I am hopeful that John Durham, who is a total pro, is going to take this where the roads obviously lead, which is to Madame Defarge. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk to Brian Dean Wright, who's a former CIA operations officer. We're going to talk to him about uh, Russia, Ukraine, uh, China, Taiwan, Iran, and nuclear weapons. But I also want to get his read on how deeply corrupt the deep state is, Uh, the CIA, where he worked for many years. Can it be reformed or does it need to be rebuilt? We're going to talk to him. It is going to be a fascinating conversation. And then at the end of the show, I've got a bunch of emails I'm going to read, including one that is going to require your input. So sit tight. We're coming right back. Okay, everybody, listen up. We all want to be healthier, right? Well, to get there, we have to have a healthier diet, which is not always easy to do. I can attest to that. You know, that shredded lettuce in a double-double and the fruit filling in a donut are amazing, but they do not count toward the recommended five servings of fruits and vegetables a day. Sorry to be the one to break it to you, but they don't. I don't always eat healthy either, but I will share that the Mayo Clinic says if you want to help prevent heart disease, lower blood pressure, and cholesterol, eat five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. I don't, and you probably won't. That's why I take Field of Greens. Unlike other supplements, each fruit and each vegetable in Field of Greens was medically selected by doctors to support your vital organs, like the heart, lungs, kidneys, and the immune system. 
Flu season is here, and I trust Field of Greens to help me stay healthy. Field of Greens works fast and tastes so good. It's really delicious, guys, and you'll feel better with more energy and you'll notice your skin, hair, and nails will look healthier too. I certainly noticed that in me since I started taking Field of Greens. If you don't always eat right and exercise, join me and take Field of Greens. Let me get you started with 15% off your first order. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use promo code MONICA. That's promo code MONICA at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Well, I'm very happy to welcome Brian Dean Wright. Brian served as an operations officer in the CIA. Be careful what you say. He's the CIA. He's got a brand new podcast called The President's Daily Brief, or PDB, and I'm a longtime fan of his work. Brian, welcome. A very good day to you. Well, it's great to have you here, and congratulations on your new podcast as well. Again, it's called The President's Daily Brief, or PDB, and I assume that you can get it on all podcast platforms, right? That's right, and I sure hope people uh, tune in. Well, we will certainly take a listen for sure because you're one of the smartest guys that I've ever heard talk about uh, national security, foreign policy, and intelligence. So we're going to get into all of that. And Brian, I have so many questions for you about the CIA uh, and the corruption running wild there and the rest of the intel community. But first, let me get your assessment of three very dangerous areas of the world. Let's start with Russia and Ukraine. Where are we in this war? Well... Russia is not where they thought they would be. They anticipated a very smooth sailing. They didn't get it. And so now they are being bogged down. We are helping to bog them down at some level, certainly with a lot of equipment and gear. Uh, But their plan was terrible. Now, uh, what we are going to see future forward, this is going to be a very long and very bloody war. Uh, Putin has put everything on the line to make this successful. He knows that if he falls short, it's his head, quite literally. So he's going to remain committed. He is uh, ordering up 60,000 troops. At least that's the plan. So I don't think that you're going to see anyone uh, talk about a quick resolution to this. Uh, So I think, unfortunately, we have to go for a very long, long war. The question is, what the heck do we do about that? I'd love to talk more about it uh, just now if if we have time. But it's going to be a a tough set of calls for us to stay out of an increasingly nasty war that could cost our own blood and treasure. Could it be, Brian, that that Putin, first of all, this is not going, as you say, according to his plan. Uh, he expected like a blitzkrieg and an easy victory. But now Russia's military weaknesses are laid bare for the whole world to see. And, and the emperor has no clothes. I think that's also a very dangerous thing for Vladimir Putin. Is it possible then that the Russians get bogged down in Ukraine, not unlike the Soviet situation in Afghanistan? I think that that's very likely, um, although I, I think that the, the Russians, uh, you know, after this first shock of the, uh, the first month or six weeks, they're adjusting. So, again, they have to win this. Putin has to win this. And it's not just Putin. It's those that surround him. You know, they, they are all in on this as well. So you're going to see them do a lot of very horrible things, use a lot of very horrible weapons. They're already using some of them, but I don't think that we've seen the worst. What exactly that looks like? I don't think we can say just today, but the bottom line is a lot of civilians not only have been, but are going to be increasingly hurt through this because this is scorched earth. They need this victory and they're going to get it. And and I'm I'm horrified to say that that is likely going to happen. 
Mm. We're talking to Brian Dean Wright. His new podcast is The President's Daily Brief. Okay, China, let's turn our attention there, Brian. They have, the CCP has just locked down nearly 200 million people. Shanghai, of course, the epicenter of this. Um, What do you think is going on there? And what's your sense of whether or not they're going to move on Taiwan and when? I see that they're making some economic moves to try to protect themselves from U.S. and Western sanctions, which seems to me like an indication that they might be preparing an invasion. It's very ominous. Look, to understand China, you have to understand that they are, a, from a government perspective, a pretty paranoid group of people. Uh, Some of that paranoia is historically well-founded because they are surrounded by so many different kinds of people, different countries. And so the thing that they want more than anything at all is stability. So if you start having people inside of Beijing, or I should say China, rising up and and protesting, uh, that makes them incredibly, incredibly uncomfortable, and they crack down immediately. We've seen this throughout history. So I think what you're seeing in places like Shanghai, it's, it's an overreaction, but it's an overreaction based on this paranoia and the, the potential for overreach that they hurt too many people and they set off you know, some degree of, of localized uh, uprisings. I'm not going to say a revolution, but that's increasing. The more these, these heavy-handed tactics take place, the greater the, the, the chances that they're going to have these, these kinds of localized internal disruptions. Mm. So I think that that is a, a, a profound concern that we should be looking at because a lot of our economy, we hate to say it, is based in some of these places. So we start having these local uprisings. That means we get less and less of our goods and services, and that means more and more inflation here. So there's a very real connection between what happens there and what happens here. In terms of Taiwan, I think they're looking very closely at what's happening in Ukraine. The extent to which Putin gets bogged down means that we're involved in that as well, right? And so what could happen is that we get in such uh, in a place that we are so bogged down there that we can't fight a two-front war, that we are unable to battle both a Ukrainian or a European theater and then a Pacific theater. That, I think, is their calculus. That is to say they are wondering about that. They're thinking about that. They're contemplating that. Mm -hmm. There are a bunch of Chinese officials who want to take Taiwan. It's part of their DNA. They want it back. And so I think there there are hawks within Beijing that say the time could be now. There's never going to be a great time or there's never going to be a perfect time. But now, boy, oh, boy. It looks pretty good. Yeah, because there's a weak American commander in chief and therefore the United States is perceived as weak and they anticipate no uh, response, no strong response if in fact they do this. So I think they've got a window of opportunity here and they see it and they're likely to take it. The other dangerous corner of the world that also sees an opportunity is Iran. Can you just tell us, Brian, how close in your mind, in your intelligence assessment, how close is Iran to a, a, a functioning nuclear weapon that's deliverable? And what, if anything, can we do now at this point in time to stop it? Yeah, it's such an important question, such a tough challenge. So I think you were, you were looking at a short number of months. Some people say a, a handful of weeks, you know, four to six. But either way, I think that the capacity is real. I think uh, our partners in Israel uh, are rightfully concerned about it. And they are an incredible intelligence service, by the way. They can get inside of Iran and do some amazing things. And that's why I think historically the uh, Israelis have correctly leaned a lot more on covert action, going in and and killing uh, scientists involved with this, killing and blowing up different facilities. Uh, Some of those delivery mechanisms you talked about, the the engines that would drive the missiles and so forth. 
great service, doing great things. And I think that that approach, frankly, is a lot more impactful than some of these deals that we're trying to do, uh, whether it be under Obama or now under Biden, because the assumption there is that the Iranians will actually stick to their word. And what we know is that's just not true. That's, that's a poor assumption. They're not really interested in sticking to their word. Moreover, the money that Iran gets from whatever deal, certainly the last one and what looks to be this future one, we're talking about tens of billions of dollars that will absolutely go into funding terror. And we know that there's no question about that. In fact, both Biden and previously Obama acknowledged that that was likely to happen. So I don't really understand the, the general premise here uh, of we can't trust their words. So let's get into a deal with them. And then they're going to get the nukes right. and the cash anyway. Right. It doesn't make a lot of sense. We're talking to Brian Dean Wright. Brian, now that we've solved the world, or tried to, let's turn closer to home. I love your story because you used to be a Democrat, and you're not anymore. What got you to to leave the Democratic Party? Did you just look around and was sickened by what you saw? You know, I think three pieces. Uh, First, I I saw a lot of un-American and anti-American rhetoric and and actions by people. Uh, I think the most infamous in the last couple of years was the governor of New York saying that America has never been great. Well, well, that's just absurd. But what's incredible is that that he's a very, very high-ranking Democrat official. To come out and say that, I think he really represents the the, the zeitgeist, the, the, the compass uh, of the party on that, because uh, you see it, other people say it as well. So that's the first piece. And and doggone, I served, a lot of other people served. We love this country, and that's why we did it. So don't. I'm not going to belong to a party that tells me that my service was effectively garbage because the country's garbage. So no thanks. Second, I'm seeing a lot of bigotry uh, coming out of the left. I mean, I think Elon Omar and AOC and, and that wing of the party, which I think is ascendant, is very, very uh, anti-Semitic, and I think that they don't hide it. And what's amazing to me is that the Democratic Party leadership doesn't stand up to these folks, doesn't right. take them off of their committees. They remain. They're afraid uh, and of then them. The violence. Yes, it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, the, the blue dog Democrats should be standing up and saying something against it. They don't. So they've been neutered. So there's really no conservative or even common sense wing of the Democratic Party. And I think that spills over into the violent rhetoric you're seeing. We saw a lot of the the anti-cop stuff. Uh, Elon Omar saying that cops are a cancer. Uh, They need to be amputated. Uh, Those kinds of uh, bits of rhetoric are consistent throughout the left right now. And again, I'm not interested in being part of that either. So those are the three pieces that I'll tell you for me. And I think a lot of people that, uh, you know, from rural parts of this country, we are conservative Democrats historically. We're we're leaving the left uh, because we may not want to be Republicans. Uh, I am. But we but we can't be Democrats anymore. Uh, yeah. And I think that's what it came down to. For Absolutely. Me. Absolutely. And I love that you shared your story. Let's hit a quick break, Brian. And when we come back, I want to talk about the intelligence community. You served in the CIA. There is so much deep and very dangerous corruption there. So I want to break it apart with you. More with Brian Dean Wright, who now hosts a new podcast, The President's Daily Brief. Go take a listen. We'll be right back. And we're back with Brian Dean Wright. He's got a brand new podcast called The President's Daily Brief or PDB. So please go check it out. All right. So I want to turn to the intel community. You were in the CIA as an operations officer. We know so much of it has been politicized, which to me is one of the most outrageous things that we have seen in recent years. Um, And because it's been so politicized, it's therefore corrupted. The Russia hoax, 
China railroad an innocent president. This letter signed by 51 Intel folks saying Hunter Biden's laptop is Russian disinformation. First of all, the deep state, is it real? Can you identify it for us and define it for us? Yes, it's real. So let's use uh, the best definition that I have have come up with. Aldrich Ames, former CIA officer, was spying for the Soviets. He was asked when he was caught by the FBI, why'd you do it? He said, because I know what's best for the nation's security and I'm going to act on it. The point is there are people like him now more than ever who take their politics and their beliefs and irrespective of what the law or their oaths say, they think they know what's best for the country and they're going to use the powers that they have at their disposal to act on it, to make sure that their views are the ones that guide and lead America. That is wildly undemocratic and that is in fact the deep state. So it's real. We've seen it. 2017, James Comey acknowledged that he leaked classified sensitive information to the New York Times so that he could get what he desired, and that was a special counsel to investigate Donald Trump. Not because of the merits of his concerns, but he just didn't like the guy. So that's the deep state defined. It's real, and that's what we have to yank out of the intelligence community. You know, the other thing, too, Brian, is, and this should outrage and terrify every American, we've gotten reports over the last couple of weeks that the intelligence community has been spying on U.S. citizens. We know that John Brennan, the former head of the CIA, um, tasked the CIA with spying on Congress, Dianne Feinstein, Senate committee, but there are others, regular Americans, who have been spied on by the intel community. What, what is going on here, and why has nobody been held to legal account for this, this incredible crime? Well, when you're seeing a lot of these crimes being committed by the FBI, the very people who are supposed to be investigating these crimes, that probably tells you that the, that the folks who are providing oversight aren't doing their job. And that's true, by the way, of the House and the Senate, who should be providing oversight of the intelligence community. They're not doing a good job, if uh, any job at all. So I think that's where the, you know part of the, the problem lies. The question is, how do we do or what do we do to fix it? Uh, first, you have to have different leadership in the White House. Second, you have to have different kinds of leaders in the House and the Senate in those oversight committees that actually do investigations, actually hold people to account. By the way, back in the 1970s, when the CIA was completely uh, out of line and, and doing unlawful things, there was a great series of uh, investigations by the House and the Senate. We cleaned the place up. It was a very important thing. We did it then. We got to do it again. But we have to have different leadership. And I'm sorry to say that is not the Democrats. It's got to be conservatives. It's got to be Republicans. And whether or not you like that in terms of your party affiliation, the bottom line is Democrats ain't going to do it. So do you think with new leadership, let's say you get President Trump in there again, um, do you think that the intel community can be reformed or does it have to be rebuilt, you know, raised to the ground and then rebuilt from the ground up? I think that during those uh, investigations and inquiries in the House and the Senate, I think we have to understand the nature and the extent of the rot. We have to understand, is this a leadership issue? And if we get excuse me, rid of the leadership, that the, the problem's fixed? Or is this so endemic throughout both you know, the, the lower and the mid-tier folks and the workers that that means that we have to completely scrap virtually everything and start again? So the extent of the rot is really critical. We have to understand it. We have to investigate it. And again, we're not going to do that unless we have different leadership. 
but that's where it starts. Yeah, and it's not just the intel community. As you mentioned, it's law enforcement, the DOJ, FBI, shot through with corruption from the start to, to the end. And if we do get better leadership in there with a vision to to uproot all of this root and branch, then top intel guys like John Brennan and James Clapper, who repeatedly lied and broke the law, they deserve to be in federal prison for the rest of their miserable lives. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Brian. This was a fascinating conversation. You are brilliant. Brian Dean Wright, check out his new podcast. It's called The President's Daily Brief or PDB. You can go get it wherever you get this podcast and others. Check it out. Brian, thank you so much. Absolute pleasure. More right after this. Okay, guys, it is mailbag time. Let's hit the emails. And again, if you want to send me an email, please do. We've got so many coming in. It's fantastic to hear from you guys. Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com is the address. Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. All right, let's go right away to Bruce, who says, Happy Easter. I love the undiluted Monica on your new podcast. Don't let up on the leftist deep state. You are now part of my daily listening. You're brilliant, beautiful, and brave. Well, Bruce, thank you so much. I don't know about brave, but all I know is we ain't got time to bleed. That's one of our mantras here on the program. We ain't got time to bleed. There's no more time for niceties or dancing around. It is, you got to get straight to the point because we've got a country to save. Thank you, Bruce. Ted in Arizona writes, Monica, great interview with Juanita Broderick. That happened on Friday. If you haven't listened to it, please do. It was about her Twitter suspension and, of course, dovetailed with what Elon Musk is trying to do with Twitter. He said, "Uh, I always search for her on Twitter. I listened to you as I walked my dog, Tuffy, on this Easter Sunday. Well, thank you, and hi to Tuffy. Now I'm back, and I search for Juanita on Twitter, and boom, she's gone. This is another reason Elon should buy Twitter. By the way, I just want to point out, for those of you who listened to the program on Friday, and you should be listening to every program so you don't miss anything, I was the very first one, as far as I know, to make the comparison between Elon Musk and Donald Trump. And now other people, they must be listening to the Monica Crowley podcast because other people now are starting to draw that comparison. The left needs a villain. They need your attention elsewhere. So you're not paying attention to all of the destruction that they're wreaking here while you're not paying attention, while they have you focused on Russia and Ukraine or Elon Musk and Twitter, right? Yeah. Um, Let's see. Let's go right to another email. Bruce in Wyoming says, Hi, Monica. Since there is so much gender confusion coming from the upper class, sex education should start in the first year of the Ivy League colleges. (laughs) Maybe. Your work is vital, and you are a calming voice in this crazy world. Thanks so much. Well, Bruce in Wyoming, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Let's say hi via email to Jamie, who writes, Monica, I watched Bill O'Reilly tonight and heard about your podcast. I was on O'Reilly's podcast last week. Um, That's what she's referring to. I'm following now and love that the first podcast I heard led with Nixon. 
I first learned of you years ago when I read your books on President Nixon. I really enjoyed them. I am a little bit of a Nixon historian. Actually, I know Nixon history well, and I can't imagine what President Nixon would think of the Republican Party today. I joke with my friends that if I have a Republican I can't support, I would vote for a JFK Democrat, but those don't exist Thanks, Monica. I'll listen to your podcast as long as you are on. Well, Jamie, very, very sweet of you. Thank you so much. And to answer your question about what Nixon would think about today's Republican Party, um, I think he would have been a huge fan of Donald Trump's. And in fact, there's a letter, and one day on the show, I'll, I'll actually find it and I'll read it. I don't have it in front of me now, but in the like late 1980s, 1988, Uh, President Nixon hand-wrote Donald Trump a note saying that Mrs. Nixon was watching the Donahue show, remember the Donahue show, and saw Donald Trump on there, and she thought that you would be a fantastic political candidate someday. And Nixon wrote something like, and I agree with her, or something like that. I'll find the letter and report it back to you. But Nixon would have loved what Trump did and what Trump is doing. And the fact that the base now, you and me, us thought criminals and independent thinkers and populists, that we are now driving the Republican Party, he would absolutely love that. And he'd be leading the way. He'd be cheering it on. He'd be wanting Trump to run again. It it would be, Nixon would be the biggest cheerleader for the America First, Make America Great Again movement. I guarantee it. He liked Donald Trump personally. Um, you know, he knew him a little bit and he, knew, and he liked him very much. But the fact that Trump had the balls to go out there, having never done politics in any way, shape, or form, that he had the balls to go out there, run for president, and win, and then managed to survive, given the onslaught of what we talked about throughout this entire podcast today, where they weaponized every government institution, corrupted it all, all to stop him, Nixon would have tremendous respect for Donald Trump, and he'd be his biggest cheerleader. I guarantee you. Well, thank you very much for that very kind note. Jamie, I appreciate it, and I hope I answered your question for you. All right, now, here is the email that is going to require your input if you are so moved. Chris writes, subject line, Muzak. Dear Monica, I'll get straight to the point. You are way too cool for the transition music you have on this podcast. And yes, I'm talking about the strumming guitar ditty that makes me think of a woodworking YouTube channel. (laughs) Oh no. Oh no, we can't have that. Aside from that, he says, I love the podcast, Chris. Okay, guys, is Chris right? Do you hate the music on my podcast? Do you consider it music? And should I switch out the music? Should I change it up and get more hip happening music? Chris wants cooler music, maybe a maybe a harder edge rock song or something. Keep in mind you can only use what's publicly available. Like if I wanted Springsteen or something, I'd have to pay massive royalties, and I'm not Joe Rogan with this yet but we're on our way. So until I get to Joe Rogan level, I have to use the publicly available music, but should I get better music for it? What do you think? All right. 
email me, Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com, Monica Crowley Podcast at gmail.com. Let me know what you think of the podcast, but also what you think about my music. <laughs> All right, guys, thank you so much for joining me. Have a fantastic Monday. I will see you right back here on Wednesday. All the best. 